0: Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers podcast. Today, I can honestly say I'm a fan, man. I, I want to welcome to the show, Russell Hornsby. How you feeling, my friend?
1: Uh, I'm feeling great, brother. No reason in the world to
0: complain. Man, you looking good, looking healthy, like you drinking your water, man. Drinking your water and working out. Got to get that
1: gallon a day in to work out.
0: <laughs> get sauna the whole nine. I feel you. I feel you. Look, we start our conversations uniquely on this show by having our guests uh, walk us through the arc of their career. And you've had a varied career with all kinds of roles. But I love to hear how actors decided that acting would be their vocation. Walk us through your career in acting. How did it start? And what was the moment when you realized, like, I can really do this?
1: Uh, Well, I think it first started um, on a dare. Uh, I was in uh, in high school. I went to an all-boys Catholic high school. Um, in Berkeley, California. I'm born and raised in Oakland. And uh, a dear friend of mine, Umoja Faraha, dared me and uh, a couple other friends to audition for the school play, which at the time was The Wiz. And um, I auditioned, played like, you know, one of the crows, the wing monkeys, all that kind of stuff like that, and just had a ball. And, you know, it was also the opportunity, since it was all boys, you know, the girls came down from uh, Holy Name, which was our sister school, and, you know, I just found that um, I had a, a, I was a, a great ham, you know? Um, I like to call myself sort of the honey-baked ham. I just didn't mind singing, dancing, acting the fool, and just having fun. And when it was time to, and so I did theater all through high school and even stopped playing football in order to play, you know, in order to be, do, be in the fall play. And um, when it was time to decide to, where to go to school and, and what to study, uh, a friend of mine, Jason Dillard, said, well, we were in homeroom. And he said, hey, bro, why don't you just do that acting thing? Like, y'all don't do shit. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's actually, you know, that makes sense. That sounds cool. And um, I went on and auditioned for uh, Boston University, North Carolina School for the Arts and NYU. And uh, got into all three. Uh, and then went to and chose to go to Boston University. Uh, for two reasons. I felt that it was literally the furthest geological point from San Francisco, Oakland to uh, Boston is the furthest point in the United States. So I wanted to get out and as far as I could from Oakland. And also my my family's from there. My mother's born and raised in Boston. So I it was sort of my second home away from home, if you will. And, um, you know, at the time in the nineties, it was just, it was a good thing just to go to college. So I went there sight unseen, and, um, you know, did my thing. And, um, you know, my mother said, "You can go. I'll support you, but you can't quit." and And so i I you know it was rough, you know, dealing with just a lot of the racial component, being the only smoke in the room, you know, things of that nature, and dealing with things different, just culturally different, you know, yeah, you know, my get down, being from Oakland, listening to rap music. And just being so much more soulful than a lot of other people, than the white people that I was there. And even in some cases, the black folk and um, being sort of ostracized and pushed away because of that and uh, having to deal with that and also different aspects of people's sexuality that I wasn't used to, you know what I mean, coming up. And, and so things of that nature. And uh, but I stuck it out and got through, went to um, and then made my way to New York, went and studied abroad for a little bit. Oh, wow. The, the time when I realized this was it was I got I auditioned for an August Wilson play Jitney. Mm-hmm. I had um, the opportunity to work with seven men 20 years my senior. And I had August uh, was the first play I saw on Broadway. And um, so to have this chance I held August in very high regard. And so here I am the youngest in the crew. And I'm having an opportunity to work with August, do theater, which is what I love to do, making a living at it, you know, at that time. And with all of these brothers and sisters, like I'm, I'm home again, if you will. And that's when I was saying to myself through that two year journey, this is where I'm supposed to be, you know, th- doing this kind of work, work that's uh, saying something that's that's conscious and conscientious and that's work of distinction. So I felt at the time,
0: you know, that brings me to my next question. That's a natural segue because we'll get to BMF in a minute specifically, but the two roles that I appreciate that I love Charles and BMF and Eddie Sutton and Lincoln Heights. And the reason being is because you give these real authentic portrayals of black fatherhood that always resonate. And you're a black father. Talk to me about Black fatherhood, or how to get it right on screen for you, and beyond your personal experience, uh, what black TV fathers or fathers in your life do you draw from when you're playing a father on TV or in a movie? Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I always uh, my mentor, Ben Brown, told me a while back. He said there is no right or wrong; there is only truth. And mm-hmm. so, you know, my job, my my goal as an as an actor is is to give just that. Is to give the truth, my truth. And and so that that stems from be, being from Oakland. You know, I was born I was born without a, I was raised without a father, and so the men of Oakland, my, my you know, coaches, uh, you know, um, band leaders, things of that nature, they helped raise me. You know, they say the village helped raise me, and so we're talking about a time as I've been told there was a time when boats were made of wood and men were made of steel, and so. I was raised by those men made of steel, these men who worked with their hands, these men were of the community, brothers who worked at the post office, but always did construction on the side. Yeah. Brothers who, you know, worked all week and would say on Friday, I'm going to go out and be somebody tonight. You know what I mean? Because of, you know, no lack of opportunity. And we know what that means when we say we're going to go out and be somebody. And they turned into different kinds of people. Resonating with men when you were at the barbershop how they spoke to each other how they spoke about their lives how they spoke about their wives their women their trials and tribulations i got I, I had a front row seat to that to that life and to those people and so those are the men and they were soulful you know what i mean these brothers were rich they were full of of of, of a deep cultural specificity and an identity you know what i mean and so all i'm doing honestly is channeling that energy that I was raised by, that I was raised with, and also what I've seen living in Boston of black men, black men in New York, black men in Chicago, you know, and all over the country, basically. And so, those the, those the energy is rich, and and so I think that when people when people see it on screen, it
0: resonates. There's an authenticity there that says. That's that's a man I've seen before. It's real. I think that's the word. It's real. Like you can touch it like, oh, I I know this dude right here. I mean, this is this is who I grew up with. This is my, who in a barbershop.
1: Absolutely. And, I, and, 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 and please apologize if I think you were anybody else. But there was something about being raised by and being around real niggas.
0: Oh, no question.
1: And so that's who I was around. You know what I mean? So Um, and, And so, and again, we, one has to code switch, one has to do this thing. So I have to be able to enunciate and articulate and speak the King's English, but also be able to get down in the rhythm section and roll with the flavor unit, if you will.
0: Let me ask you this question though, about that. And, and, and you mentioned your August Wilson experience, and I've asked this to a ton of actors who've come on, come on the show. Which do you prefer the the screen or the or the stage and talk to the listeners about the difference? Because, you know, you just can't get up and go on stage the same way that you are, you know, in a trailer for eight hours going out and preparing to do the, the next season of BMF. Well, you know, the, the, I love theater. And, I, and, I, and, it, and if you had caught me five years ago, I would have
1: I would have said to you I, if I could get paid like I'm on TV or the movies, I'd rather do theater. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. But here I am five years later. I'm a little bit older and a tad bit wiser. And the truth of the matter is as much as I love theater and can't wait to get back, it's too, it, it, the work, it's too hard. Do you know what I mean? It's, you know, eight shows a week. You You rehearse for a month to six weeks and you'll do a run for three to four to five for six months. Every day, you know what I mean? Six days a week. And that's just, it's work. I mean, that's just like, you know that's what I call that's blue collar work in a in a sense, and and so so now you know you want to work smarter not harder, and but the thing is the dynamic is is that I can I find a greater sense of ease when working on television because of the training in the theater, and and so you know a, a lot of people don't under really understand it or they underestimate um, what you actually gain by having been trained in the theater. And, and by having gone to conservatory, and also by having done at least a player two a year for eighteen years. and and what that does to the body, how it conditions you, you know, all of those things, and what it does for your vocal cords, what it does for your level of projection and enunciation, and all of those things. and being able to keep a creative art a character, over the long haul, over a certain period of time, understanding the true beginning, the middle and the end of the story, but also the character that you're creating. And I think there's a greater sense of uh, of, of depth-
0: No question. That one
1: has when you come from the theater, because what you're creating is in fact a real three-dimensional person versus at times, two-dimensionality that we oftentimes see on television.
0: So my favorite question for actors and great actors like yourself is what goes into your decision to take a role? I mean, what what has to jump out at you when you're reading a script that you decide to say yes or no to to a project? I can't imagine you doing like a BAPS for men or anything like that. And are there are there any or or soul plane, whatever. But are there any projects that you said no to later that you wish you say yes to as well?
1: Uh, no, there haven't been, um, you know, I, I've said no to a, a great number of, uh, of projects that I did not really care for. And this is when I was broke. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, and so it was just, again, the men creatively that I was that I worked with who didn't get the opportunity that I have now. Said you just you have to have a level of artistic integrity about the work that you do. Yeah, we all need to eat. But there's a line in August Wilson's Two Trains Running that says, if you eat the wrong thing or if you eat what they give you without, without understanding what it is you're, you're, you're ingesting, then you have to ask yourself, how is it going to taste? Mm-hmm. So when, I, when, when, I, you, when we say that, it's like, it, you know, when you, how is it going to taste tomorrow? or when it comes out, how are you going to feel about the work that you're doing? And so you have to make sure that whatever that whatever role you portray, whatever you're ingesting, that, you know, it's going to be that of, of a certain type of nourishment, I guess,
0: you know. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you literally are what you eat. In that, in that.
1: Absolutely. You know what I mean, so I, I don't you know, so but for me, it's about the character. It's about the story and it's about the character. Also, do I have something to add? Do I have something to say with regard to the role and and what can I bring and shed light on? while while portraying this role you know and that's what i thought about with with charles and with you know character and and um the hate you give in all others
0: it's like you know i got something to say (laughs) yeah let's talk about bmf let's talk about charles let's let's get to it like for those people who have been under a rock can you tell folk what bmf is about let me just tell you this i was in atlanta during the height of bmf i went to morehouse from 2001 to 2005 and you would show up at club vision and buckhead and these dudes would pull up in these blue Lamborghinis, Rolls Royces. It would be Meech and Blue and Jeezy, and then behind them, it'd be two buses full of niggas in black, black shirts. Yeah, I mean, they, they were the most terrifying, terrifying click group. And then they had these be, these billboards everywhere. Yeah. So talk to talk to me about what BMF is for those people who don't understand, and 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 tell them tell them about the show a little bit. Well, uh, you know, DMF,
1: Black Mafia Family started in Detroit back in the early to mid '80s, and it's uh, basically um, the Flannery boys, uh, D- Demetrius Flannery and, uh, and 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 Terry Flannery, and um, and they basically um, slowly but diligently took over the drug game, you know, in Detroit, and one of the biggest drug dealers, uh, point of fact, in the country. And then they they took after taking over the Detroit, they took their show on the road. And they were very um, influential and instrumental in helping all, a lot of uh, music careers as well. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, just helping fund certain things. And you know, in, like I said, when Atlanta was at the height of the music, you know, industry, so so deaf and everything like that. Just helping producers and stuff like that, and just basically shook up the world, if you will. No question. Uh, in, the, in the drug game, and and just and what they really stood for, honestly, was family you know, making sure that, that everybody that they were around ate, and everybody had an opportunity to be able to do for themselves or do for their family, however they could. And, uh, yeah. And then, you know, I played Charles Flannery, uh, the father, um, of the Flannery boys, who's, um, former musician, God-fearing man, you know, hardworking brother, blue collar man. And, um, you know, basically in the beginning, what we see in the first season was, uh, a family at odds, a family sort of trying to pick up the pieces, if you will, you know, because of what was happening um, to Detroit and America at that time in the 80s, you know, and, um, you know, how um, Reaganomics uh, uh, affected a lot of families and, and more specifically
0: black families at that time. Why has this show become so pop? It's just taken off. What do you think draws this audience to this to this particular show?
1: Well, you know, I, I think anything, first of all, I think it being based on a true story. And I think that we, we all know, we, I mean, we've had a, we had a lengthy time, about a 30-year period where the drug game had a huge influence on our lives, whether it be through music, through fashion, uh, just, you know, being around the way. And, you know, a lot of us who are, you know, in our 40s now or whatever, um, late 30s, early mid, late 40s, we were affected by that. You know yep. what I mean? That was, that was a part of our culture. That was a part of our rearing for, for good and for bad. And and so that, and also it being based on a true story. A lot of people know about the B, about BMF. Like you said, I had a lot of friends who went to Morehouse, a lot of friends who went to Hampton who came through, you know, Freaknik was big and, you know, all of that who were like, yo, this was part of the life. Yes. So, and, I, and I just think we have a natural just fascination with, gang culture with mafia mob culture you know what i mean the drug game about and that's part of living in america you know uh the crooked nature of what comes with that you know um and and being quote unquote a big man you know everybody has the idea or the desire to be a big man however it comes you know what i mean you know when you're young you say man i want to be somebody i want to I want to be a shot caller. I want to be a baller. I mean, that was in the music that was in, that was part of the influence that was happening at that time. So I think people just took to it. And I I think that we're trying to tell the story as authentically
0: as we possibly can. I'm going to get to that point in a minute. Describe Charles Flannery though. I mean, and to my earlier question, the richness of fatherhood, talk to me about what makes him such a real character. I mean, uh, for, for you, because your portrayal of him is just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, you know, as I said, he was a real
1: blue-collar, hard-working man who believed in the American dream, which was if you work hard, if you just choose to be diligent and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, success can happen. And I think that you know, um, he was you know, as I said, he worked in the in in the in the Ford plant. Um, he was a man who worked with hands. He knew how to build things, and these were men. I believe that were born and raised of that time and they thought that hey once we got out we migrated from the south to the north we got these good jobs we were able to really work hard and bring our families up that good things would come and and as i said before he was a man that was made of steel metaphorically you know and so he believed in the hard work and was hoping that he would be able to create an opportunity for his kids to succeed by using their brains, not the brawn, you know what I mean? And I think that he is, and also being a God-fearing man, he is naturally offended at the idea that my kids are going to go out here and get money the fast way, you know what I mean? Um, However good it may be, I'm offended that I've I've raised you in this God-fearing house and you're gonna go out here and do this dirt out here. That's not what offenderies uh, do. That's not what God-fearing people do. That's not what hardworking people do. And and so there's just, they're just at odds, you know? And and again, we always know this thing, is like, there can only be one man in the house. That's right. And, and so what we see through that is how the, you know, how the country let down the black family and families and, you know, overall, when we talk about obviously regonomics, when we talk about uh, the decline of industry, and so the decline of jobs, inflation, all of those things, and it had a, it, it had that negative trickle down effect.
0: Yeah, I always say that. I always say trickle down economics. We know what that is. That's just, <laughs> it's, it's just really, yeah. We know we know what they're doing to you. Let me ask you this question. I, got, I just got one or two more for you before we let you go. This BMF is a creation of 50 Cent, and you're a part of that Stars 50 Cent partnership that gave us power and the power spinoffs. What's it been like to have a show and walk into a fan base that seems addicted to whatever 50 is putting out? And talk to us about the relationship 50 has with you guys and the role he plays in BMF.
1: Well, I mean, you know, 50 has a pulse on the culture a great pulse a hand on the finger on the pulse of what the culture wants what they need and and things and, and see the thing is it's a constant it's an evolutionary phase in my opinion so you know he's he he knows um this type of world the drug world the gangster world if you will he was part of it you know you rapped about it you know this yeah. is and again this is this is this is part of right we were exposed to this. And so he has his finger on the palm. I think what he's doing is we're making, and as you're seeing from products that he's um, going to be bringing out uh, soon in the future, is that he's creating an evolution. We're going we're we're to st- go from this gang drug culture and evolve into you know, different types of uh, film fare. You know what I mean? As, as he evolves, I think the products will evolve. And and the material that he's bringing to the to the people will evolve. And so you go from just different kinds of food. And I think that's him listening to what the people want. Um, I think that's him exposing himself to different types of artists, different types of creators, different types of writers and him having a real understanding of, wow, you know what, this will be dope. This is something different that I think we, can, we should bring to the people. I mean, just like um, for life which was on ABC. I mean, just that, I mean, telling that story and telling it from a different perspective that was so, that had had a beautiful creative art to it. That was something very different than what we would have thought uh, that we could be part of, you know? And and like I said, he's evolving, he's an artist, um, he's creative, and he's willing to give people an
0: opportunity, and I appreciate that. That's what's up. My last question for you: How can people watch BMF? And then tell folks what you're working on. Any upcoming projects we need to look out for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, we'll, you know, again, you can watch BMF on Stars. Um, they have the the, uh, the Stars app. You can you know, watch on the channel. Download it. But um, right now, I also have another project that just came out um, on Netflix called Lost Lost in Space. I'm in the third playing the third season of Lost in Space. Get my sci-fi on. Switch it up a little bit. And um, I'm also currently working on, in, right down here in New Orleans, uh, playing uh, Don King in the Iron Mike, uh, Mike Tyson story. Oh, so that's dope. I'm getting my, my Only in America, getting a little aspect of my comedic chops, giving people an opportunity to see my character work, all that kind of stuff. So I'm really
0: excited. And you're getting checks, man. That's what you're getting from everywhere. I love it. That's what my wife loves. (laughs) (laughs) Man, Russell Hornsby, thank you for joining the Bukari Sellers podcast. Enjoy Nola, man. We enjoy you on Power. Keep representing for the culture, my brother. Appreciate it, Bukari. Thank you, brother. All right, man. Be easy. Be easy.